0: Welcome to reframing our stories the podcast this podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. When I discover people doing similar work as I, I get very excited. This is how I felt when I attended one of Reverend Beverly Dale's workshops at an ASECT event. Beverly was talking about sex and faith and how they are intimately related. Her workshop was powerful and thought-provoking, and I knew I had to learn from her. Rev Bev, as she is known in the sex world, is a published writer, vocalist, and performer, in addition to being an ordained minister. Her ministry has taken her from being a pastor in a Christian church, Disciples of Christ Parish in Illinois for six years, to 21 years of campus ministry at the University of Pennsylvania. She is presently the founder and chair of the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith, an educational nonprofit that teaches an inclusive, science-friendly, and sex-positive Christianity. Her ministry has a very special and unique focus to help people of faith heal from the sexual wounding that occurs when they are taught to separate the spirit from the body, and also to provide tools for those who are developing a Christian theology that affirms the body and pleasure as God-given. Her book that every single sex therapist or therapist should own is called Advancing Sexual Health for the Christian Client, Data and Dogma. Beverly, I'm so excited to have you on the show.
1: That's good to be here.
0: <laughs> so I had talked about just uh, in the intro how I went to one of your workshops at ASect and I was quickly drawn to you one because we are passionate about the same things. but two, also you did a workshop that involved the body and just the senses and th- and bringing and thinking about how we feel about things and which is also, so perfect, right? Because we forget the body and you have this way of being too, that is also so calm and reassuring for people, especially when we talk about like the two most personal things, sex and faith. Um, so my question for you is what was your path in becoming passionate about studying the
1: connections between um, sex and faith? So it's real simple. It comes out of my own story mm-hmm. uh, of being told by the church Um, that being a girl was second class to being a boy. Um, And uh, I was told nothing about being a sexual girl Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, no comprehensive sex education, no access to birth control, you know, that whole thing. So so my dating life was a mess, and I got into a relationship I should not have. Mm-hmm. I got into a marriage I should not have, all because of sex. Um, mm. and, um, and then I found the women's movement, which told me it was okay to be a woman and to be a sexual woman. And I thought, well, why didn't I hear that from my church? And so I went through this angry phase Mm -hmm. uh, when I went to seminary because I felt like when I was a little girl at 11 that God wanted me to be a minister. But the church and my family said, no, I couldn't do that. But by that time. Women were in seminaries and writing the books that I could read. So it my the intersection of sexuality and uh, s- spirituality come together in my own personal life. But then, mm-hmm. as I began to unpack all of this stuff in my own story, uh, I began to realize, my goodness, there's all kinds of other women, particularly, but men too, who are really struggling with this. And then, thanks to the Reagan years and the abstinence only Mm non-sex education and the purity culture that developed after that was like, oh my, we're not any farther along now in a positive sense on that topic, either in sexuality, nor on the topic of sex and faith, particularly with the Christian church. So that's when I realized, you know, I would use my advanced age to tell the people coming along behind me, Mm -hmm. you can still be a a Christian and be sexually liberated if you want to be. Um, but that they do not have to be attached to the Christian Church dogma, and if that's harmful to you, if you've been bible-bashed or shamed, then walk away clean, and God will walk with you. I just God is not employed by the Church, so you know, find your own spiritual path.
0: I feel like first of all, let's just put that on a billboard. God is not employed by the Church. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Yes. Yes. Because yes. I know yes. so many people have so much pain, right? The church has so much pain, but yet they still believe in God and have this relationship with God, but also I feel people are taught that you have to have both. Mm. When you don't really need to have both. And, mm. you know, God is bigger than the church.
1: When when people say they believe in God, my my hope is that what that means is they have they have a spiritual instinct. Mhm. Perhaps they've given birth and that was a miracle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Perhaps they've had special experiences that have led them to believe there's something beyond what the church is proclaiming. Mm -hmm. Um, So I make the distinction, as you know, between faith and religious beliefs. And all religious beliefs that reside in the head are up for challenge uh, Mm -hmm. by science and by our own personal experience. Um, But faith that comes from that mystery piece Mm -hmm. that you can hang on to that and not Mm -hmm. be a Christian or yes, to be a spiritual person in any other way.
0: Mm. So then how do you feel to you mentioned, you know, about Reagan and then the absence only education. So how are you feeling now with the new developments that are happening in our country currently around sexuality?
1: Mm-hmm. it's all related it's mm-hmm. all related this culture is terribly wounded by the patriarchy and it's and when you involve the patriarchy and what I mean by that is the domination the way of thinking that somebody has to be on top somebody has to be on bottom yeah. and the one on top is more important so that's what patriarchy, and All men are usually given that Preferred place on top, right. but but in order to maintain control, in order to maintain that domination paradigm, you have to restrict people mm-hmm. to be content to be on bottom by giving them somebody else on the bottom. And part of that restriction is restrict the natural impulse to move towards pleasure and to move towards connection and intimacy. So if we have a choice, um, we would probably choose pleasure and and nature. And goodness being with friends rather mm-hmm. than the 70-hour work week.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So so the whole patriarchal system is meant to keep you productive rather than pleasure centered.
0: Yeah, fascinating.
1: Yeah. So and it's so the patriarchy, the domination piece keeps you cut off from your body. And that's done on purpose. Mm-hmm. So What's happened is that we had this egalitarian movement, meaning women can should be paid the same amount as men. Sexual liberation in the '60s. Then we have the backlash. Well, we can't have that. We can't have people, uh, women, having pleasure and uh, apart from marriage. You know, all of that stuff. And then we have the backlash. And so we're still having the backlash today. It's just that as more and more people are saying, what's wrong with equality? Isn't that good for all of us personally and professionally? Um, then then the pushback gets harder. And so, okay. so you get more and more restrictions and more and more people who are terribly wounded, sexually wounded, mm-hmm. uh, in charge, in positions of power mm-hmm. and making decisions for the rest of us.
0: I think the idea of power is so fascinating because even yesterday, I was with just a group of preteens who are in seventh and eighth grade and they are talking about they're in the school of just seventh and eighth graders and they talk about how it's almost like you know their feathers puff up because they're going to be the eighth graders and they get to have essentially this power over the seventh graders in the position they were just in and talked about how they're excited to have that sense of feeling of empowerment and I find it so fascinating that we are so I think ingrained, like you said, to seek those um, aspects of power
1: mm-hmm. to
0: dominate over another as the signal of our worth. Yep. You know, yeah.
1: it's, it's tragic because we don't yeah. have to have that kind of a mindset, but we train children to have that mm-hmm. uh, early on. We yeah. learn what the rules are to be a, a man and a and a woman is mm-hmm. this. And so, it, because I think children will play with anybody who will play with them. Oh, they do. And free. They have a wonderful time. Life is good. Yeah. And then they go to school and now they learn, no, you can't talk to that person because of mm-hmm. the color of their skin. You can't play with that person because of X, Y, and Z. And then that carries over into how we view the work world, for example, and how we build our politics.
0: hmm yeah. yeah. I mean, when you look at kids, natural tendency, they're just like, do you like this rock? Me too. Let's hang out.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, right, right. yeah, Like we naturally, I think, look to find those moments of connection. And like you said, like, then we get into these institutional systems yeah. and then we're told where to find the difference yeah. and like where to seek power or then where the hierarchy, in my opinion.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So those seventh and eighth graders that I mean, the question is, um, have you considered it might be more fun to not create the power positions for your classmates and you might create more friends mm-hmm. in seventh grade than you had when you were there? You see? Yeah. So just to really challenge that way of thinking is really important. Right. But but you're pushing up against all kinds of, of economic and social and political. Right phrase, you know, rules. Hmm.
0: So with the current, um, as we just talked about, current culture of how things are right now, what are the biggest challenges you see for the church now and in the future?
1: I think that I'm going to talk about liberal churches or mainstream churches first, that, that they tend to be more interested in justice and dealing with injustice the injustice of poverty the injustice Mm -hmm. of race racism and those kinds of things but what they have not dealt with is that this connects to bodies and they haven't dealt with their own sexual ignorance and their the fact that they're not doing a good job linking their central christian story of god in the flesh to our fleshly bodies. It just simply is not happening in our good liberal churches that, that understand injustice, but they don't understand body injustice. Mm. Uh, so body injustice, sexual injustice is kind of outside the board. So that's the first thing. The, the second piece is the white Christian nationalism, mm. you know, that, where everybody can wear a cross around their neck as a piece of jewelry, but then, and label themselves as Christian and then justify dehumanizing other people yes. um, or unjust actions, you know, that that's huge. And that's got to come. We've got to have Christians talking back to that because people oh, yeah. who are Christians get it. They already understand. Problem mm-hmm. is everybody's getting lumped in that same category. Right. But that, that's a huge perversion. Um, and I think, I think the third thing is that the periodic culture is going nowhere. It's going to stay with us. It's going to stay with us. The shaming um, of women's bodies, particularly, and shapes and all of that is still going to be there. And so if the church doesn't get its act together, we're still going to continue to harm people uh, who have to listen to that, either from the pulpit or from the classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's that's serious damage that's happening i am i know a number of i've heard a number of anecdotes of couples who are true to the church um message that you cannot have any sexual activity whatsoever before marriage and then they have they get married and guess what nothing's happening because first of all they're both sexually ignorant and and they don't have permission because they still got those things going on in their brain Mm -hmm. so one cannot cannot shift that quickly from the damage of an, uh, anti-sex culture. And then, Oh, you have the magic piece of paper and a wedding ring. Now you have full bliss. It just does not work that way. Oh yeah. The purity culture is a huge mess. Um, that turns out every generation more damaged people. Yeah. I had like 50 thoughts go through my head as you were talking.
0: Okay, Okay. I just hope I can draw from, um, yeah, I don't even know where I can go because there's just so many things to talk about. But it's just it fascinates me. I think the whole shaming thing and learning also that from the very beginning, when people started to just look at the female anatomy, which they decided for a long time wasn't even important to to learn about because it was inside, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't accessible. And that they just gave the names associated with our bodies, shame, like based out of the roots of the, of, of different words that associate with shame. And it fascinates, like, I am at the point too, where I think I'm sort of stuck in anger of learning of, as I continuously learn and deconstruct and put my faith in with my learnings around sex education and things like that. And there's a part of me that's still like, it just feels so much grief and sadness over the fact that we are i think as in especially united states i think miss the mark
1: mm-hmm. when
0: we when we miss the entire aspect of the fact that god came into the body through a teenage girl through <laughs> the womb to experience humanity to be a part of it to also exp- which and also involves pleasure and pain right And then to know that, you know, Jesus sat with people and talked with people and showed us intimacy. And I'm like, what is the block? You know, I know it's centuries of generational trauma that has been passed along to us, but what is the switch? Like, I just keep thinking, what is the switch for us to start to learn and, and see that maybe God was inviting us into a relationship that is joyful that is pleasurable as a way of forming intimacy with us and connection which in my opinion like even we have those two stories in the bio, you know in genesis that to me represents the creation stories this need for a connection with creation you know so mm-hmm. i'm just like what is the switch <laughs> like what do we uh-huh, need to uh-huh. do to get to that place and to give everyone the permission to say, why don't you look a little bit further into where all of our messaging has come from? Right. You know, and why has it been like that? And look at the history. And do you think people aren't invested or don't want to do that based out of fear? Or what are your thoughts?
1: And the, and the teaching, the, the, concerted effort to make sure people do not go within and find the spirit within themselves that no mm-hmm. it has to the truth has to come from this preacher or this uh, ideology or this reading of scripture and so people don't recognize that oh, god's already working in your life there is spirit moving you, there's a wisdom in you mm-hmm. that is divine and it will tell you what is good in your life and what is not good and yeah. So there's that. The, the other piece, as a Christian, I always go back to the Jesus story. Yeah. And so we got into too. this because the people, the God talkers, um, were generations away from the Jesus story, didn't know the Jesus uh, that that is portrayed in the gospel, and were busy trying to create a system, organizational system of bureaucracy, if you will, that would keep them from getting martyred and keep them from... Uh, premature death Mm -hmm. and so keep them safe and would get them in bed with and I use that in on purpose with the political powers that be
0: yeah
1: all right to keep them I understand keeping them safe but uh you know after a while you would say wait a minute I think you're you're clearly uh, in bed with the Rome Mm -hmm. and uh and the high status and then all of the rings and the jewelry and all of the Grand Pubas stuff happening with those people in power, men in power. Um, and now, you know, the church is on the has forgotten its story. It's forgotten its Jesus story of God in the flesh. Now God now Jesus becomes some salvific figure who didn't have genitalia and yeah. um you know, <laughs> never got hungry and you know, that that kind of thing. So so the whole Jesus so for me, it's getting back to the Jesus story in the mm-hmm. gospels. Um, and lifting up the lens uh, from our eyes that, that's keeping us from seeing the humanity of mm-hmm. this person who walked among us and loved unconditionally. Um, that's a powerful story. And I think many of the people who have left the church and are leaving the church because they don't want anything to do with religion, particularly because of its sexuality mess, um, are still hang on to the Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have met more than one who, um, they won't use that kind of language, but say, yeah, it's treat other people as you wish to be treated. I said, that's the golden rule, Jesus taught that. Are you aware that that's from your roots, your Christian roots? <laughs> right. right. So If we hang on to the Jesus story and are open to the message of God speaking to us um, through the Spirit, then we can do it. We, we can find um, a Christianity or a spirituality that's going to Um, serve us good stead and get us through life in, in good ways.
0: Do you think people might be fearful of their own humanity? And maybe that's why sometimes they forget the humanity of
1: Jesus. Of course, the church has been telling us for 2000 years. We're nothing but sinners. Yeah. And such a worm as I, amazing grace says what a worm, not according (laughs) to Genesis one. It's not, it's Mm -hmm. all very good. Um, So that's the message. So, and, then, when you have a patriarchal family system of domination, that oftentimes means authoritarian father figures or mm-hmm. parental figures who are busy correcting, 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 yeah, punishing, 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 which is very much like your god of punishing. Yeah. Now, you know, you, you're duplicating that. And yeah, we've been told we're we're wrong and we're sinful. And particularly when it comes to pleasurable sensations or orgasm, for God's sake, that would be terrible, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that we are instantly shamed of being human. And so yes. the message has to be Jesus was human. You are human. Embrace your uh, sexuality fully. Mm-hmm. And then use your Christian... Um, teachings from the Bible not from St. Augustine um, to guide you in terms of ethics of how you experience pleasure how you are in relationships with other people
0: so can you explain to our listeners the importance of understanding what you just said of follow it from
1: Jesus and not
0: St. Augustine
1: Uh, Sure, sure. What I mean is that um, the only people Jesus could not get along with were those people who thought they had all the right answers. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge insight right there. Mm -hmm. So people who have the answers in your life are probably toxic to you. So move away from them if you can Mm -hmm. and don't give them that kind of credibility. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, um, you know, Jesus said that there was if you want to know God, look at me. Okay, mm-hmm. how did he treat the foreigners in his midst? How did he treat um, the people who would, would taint him so that he couldn't go to the synagogue? You know, they would touch him and he wasn't supposed to be touched like that. All right, how did he treat them? Well, it was always with compassion and love and, and healing. So what does that say? It says to me that he lived the golden rule. He lived, love yourself and um, and love others. So those are kind of the core basic uh, principles that are not just in Christianity, certainly, but in uh, most of all of our faith traditions, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's about love and learning to love ourselves and shut off. Then the loving thing is to shut off the shame-based voices that are in your life. Yeah. And and that's, I would tell you, I would quote a very uh, conservative woman named uh, Corey Tinboom, who wrote a, a bestseller called the hiding place about her experiences as um, a Christian woman in, in Auschwitz, actually, because they were hiding Jews. She said that um, when God calls to us, it is never with a shaming finger that, that shakes a, f- a finger at us. I'm mm. doing that right now at you, so you can get yeah. That. yeah. Um, but instead, God always calls us with a beckoning finger that come this this way, this way. Mm. That mm. is the difference between a shame-based religion shame on you for being sexual. Um, How dare you experience that much pleasure outside of marriage, for example. That's the shame finger. But the beckoning finger is, let's make sure we do this in loving ways. Let's make sure we do this in kindness to yourself and to others. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Isn't that beautiful? That is really beautiful.
0: And I think too, like, when you're talking about everything like is shame-based and we're told we are sinners, when you look at parenting models and, you know, how that affects us throughout our life when we're constantly degraded right or told that we're not good enough or we're not doing this right and overcorrected continuously Mm -hmm. that stays with us (laughs) and then we feel like we can't do anything right and then we don't know how to give ourselves the love and care that we need and it just is a continuous cycle and I always say to to when I teach with youth Um, Christian youth, when I do go into churches with Christian youth and say, you know, that whole thing, love our neighbors as ourselves. And I'm like, how are we doing with that? You know? And I'm like, it's clear to me that sometimes based on what we see on how we interact with each other on social media, with the way adults speak to each other, you know, the political parties, and I go, it's clear to me that many of us don't love ourselves, Mm -hmm. Mm right? Right. So like, what is that about, you know? And so then we have more deeper conversations about how do we figure out how to do that? What does that look like? You know, because I think so many of us, like you said, are just, in my opinion, the more I have been an adult myself and then have done this work, we are just as adults walking around in this world, wounded children
1: absolutely the walking wounded and and the scripture says that a child shall lead them and I really think uh, people of course interpret that as oh that's Jesus well wait a minute let's look at the wisdom of the children around us who know yeah. how to play who yeah. are curious rather than condemning they're curious about difference mm-hmm. uh, those are traits that um, are good until you know, until we get our defenses up and so sure. it's a matter of how do we remove the of life? curious let me have this pleasurable experience and see what happens Mm
0: -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. that's great so as we what do you how do you see then since we are so divided we're so divided in this country right now how do you see christians coming together around sexuality and or do you even believe that we can
1: they're not the church is being torn apart just like the culture is being torn apart so Mm -hmm. what will emerge will be a new understanding of what it is to be christian Mm-hmm. Um, and the progressive churches that I know are dealing with that question mm-hmm. uh, for a couple generations uh, and longer, but but as an organizational institution, the um, progressives have been saying, well, we're not like them you know, stuck in, let's just all go to heaven, you know, free ticket out of hell kind of a thing. That's not, that's not what Christianity is. What they've not done a good job is connecting that to our fleshly experiences that include pleasure and sexuality. Um, mm-hmm. and, and of course, the search for justice, body justice for everybody. Right. So, um, so the church will be torn apart. Um, uh, Diana Bass has written a book called um, Christianity After Religion. Uh, which is very good she does not uh, move towards the sexuality at all and she doesn't really frame what it's going to look like but she knows that the christian church the christianity the understanding of god in our flesh will continue um and it's for those of us like you and i who uh and progressive churches around the world who are saying okay what does that jesus figure mean and uh and what and can we agree on that Right. Then, then we can pull in the moderates, and then maybe the conservatives as well, and mm-hmm. say, "What does it mean that God became flesh, and that we are still saying the flesh is bad? That's got to go." You're yeah, right,
0: right. To me, doesn't make a lot of sense. So, when we talk about you know the our flesh, right, not being bad, mm-hmm. because we know that Jesus came as flesh, and so therefore one would think that then it was. <laughs> You know, when God created us, He said it was good. In what way do you see our world transforming if we learn how to talk about sex and faith in an open and affirming
1: way? Oh my! It will be this. It will be the salvation of the planet. I'm real mm-hmm. clear mm-hmm. that um, the problems that we are experiencing um, have their basis in the ways in which we. Do not treat our bodies well, nor do we teach uh, treat the bodies of others well. So, if we can transform our understanding of sexuality in an open and affirming way, as you're saying, then it means we will be accepting of other people and we will be uh, compassionate about the ways in which other people are being dehumanized or trivialized or, or violently eliminated. I mean, we will be very concerned about that. So I think justice happens when we get our uh, cell, our, our spirit and our uh, bodies in a, in a good place. And I think peacemaking comes out of that. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, I think it's the key. It's the key to the mess that humanity has got itself into right now. So
0: how do you as a facilitator in church spaces in, sex therapy practice things like this as a uh, professor Mm -hmm. how do you get people to those moments where they can start unpacking not only their sexual history but also the way it has religion has influenced it
1: Ilana van wrote a book that i have not read but the title of it i use all the time it's called until now Mm -hmm. and um I think what's important for people who begin to understand that they've been sexually wounded by the church, the family, people they loved, yeah. um, is to say, okay, until now, until now. Um, and, and so what we have to do is give people permission to have pleasure, mm-hmm. permission to be sexual beings, permission to be sexually free about expressing who they are, Either in the bedroom or in their dress or, you know, orientation wise or whatever, um, to give permission to move into that pleasure centered piece that's in every one of us that we just simply forgot or was scared out of us when we were little, Mm -hmm. um, and so, my work now, now that I've done a lot of this deconstructing about theology and uh, where these bad messages came from, and, and I've got this training program going for sexologists and pastors, now I'm shifting to how do we create places of pleasure in our lives? And how do we create rituals that remind us that it's good to be alive and in these bodies, uh, including the fantasies, including the needs? Uh, mm-hmm. I think that, and yes, we have to deconstruct all of that yucky stuff that happened to us, that because we've got to get to a point where we can put that aside.
0: Yeah. But,
1: but I think we can say until now, I believe that everything Dad said was truth, or I believe that I was treated well, and now I'm realizing I was not treated well by my preacher or whatever until mm-hmm. now and now okay. I, now it's a new way of being in the world uh and it's um, one of the books i'm working on is unapologetically sexual mm. uh, i think we have to be unapologetic about being sexual and if you'll notice in our wider culture when there's certain ways that women are allowed to be sexual and it is right. um well you know it's objectified Sure. Um, you're just body parts. You don't have a brain, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm not expecting intellectual articulate conversation from you, only your body parts. Um. So I don't know where I was going with that. I got clear off on that.
0: Well, one of the things I have said to churches is that, you know, many people I think in um, maybe the evangelical world or different things get really obsessed or upset and everything. When we talk about objectification and, you know, women are objectified and different things like this and, in our culture, which everyone feels, I think, similar around. But what I have said to them is, yeah, but I think the church kind of started that. Hmm. I was like, if you think about it, the whole aspect of us separating, you know, like the brain from um, the mind, from the body and different things like that. And then in the way that we discussed sex and the way that we used different things to as adjectives in order to describe the body and things like that. I'm like, objectification started in my opinion in the church
1: okay now i would go back farther uh but i would say yes the church picked it right up um yeah. the church picked it up men and the greco-roman world plato so it's the the right of the body are bad it's mm-hmm. live in the head live in the intellect all right and by the way women are just to to make babies and uh right. whatever so you discount the women the, mm-hmm. the property. Um, so, and then the church comes along, and and my language is Jesus' life and ministry, and that first generation or so. It was a blip on the screen. It's just a blip,
0: mm-hmm. because
1: what happened with with all of the that teaching and so forth was simply subsumed by these church fathers who simply mouthed what Plato had taught. So, yeah, very early on. Um, the patriarchy was embedded in Christianity. And, and so all of that anti-woman stuff gets, uh, written into the theology,
0: Mm anti-pleasure
1: stuff, anti-sexual stuff gets written in there. Um, according to those early fathers, um, sex with women was terrible. It was terrible. You were not supposed to have any fun when you did it. Hmm. Isn't that sad? sad. It is. (laughs) Is and one of them said, okay, it was better if you're going to have sex with a woman, make sure it's an ugly woman so you wouldn't enjoy yourself.
0: What, yeah, I didn't know that. Wow,
1: yeah, Yeah. (laughs) wow, yeah. And then, of course, then come along later, and it's okay, it's all right to enjoy yourself, but you have to be married,
0: right? Right, okay. I was saying to my husband the other day, we were just driving, and I'm like, isn't it interesting how much you know. The male sex dislikes the female sex when we are the ones who grew you. It's <laughs> like it just really doesn't make sense. <laughs> you look at big pictures of it all.
1: Well, you can look bigger than that, Kara. The, the oh, big yes. picture is the sexual potential for women is much greater than that of men. I mean, you mm. can have sex continuously for a lot of hours here, and right. can't. they're very limited in that way. But uh, the pleasure is a part of what it is to to give birth and to to nurture an infant, and we are we're loaded with oxytocin chemicals and uh, in our yeah. hormones in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of sexual potential as women, and the patriarchy understands that that can subvert all this domination stuff. So oh. we've got to keep them down, keep them yeah. down.
0: So then, what do you say quickly about people who are afraid of pleasure? Because when sometimes when we tell people, oh, this can be pleasure based, this, this could be, you know, wonderful, but some people don't really even have a clear understanding of what pleasure is or what it looks like because of trauma they've experienced. So how do we then change that narrative for them to be like, to help them get into a place where pleasure doesn't just freak them out?
1: hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, you disconnect it from sex first because the, right. the sex is the trigger. So you you can disconnect that. So you say, all right, what is the food that you like best? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And let's have a pleasure moment as we do that or start with something that's very, very safe. When, mm-hmm. when are you the happiest? Mm-hmm. Um, and describe that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I remember I had a student come into my office there when I was working at the university of Pennsylvania as pastor. And Uh, She was having difficulty, but her God was not helping her. And I said, well, tell me when you're safe. And so she described um, sitting uh, outside in the sunshine. So I said, all right, stop right there. And there was a window with the sun streaming in. And I said, sit down on that pillow in in front of that uh, window. Sit in the sun. And so we just did a quiet moment of feeling the rays, Mm -hmm. uh, feeling it quietly. And now think of that as God touching you. Think mm-hmm. of that as God is reaching out and caressing your skin, saying, "I got you. I'm right here. I'm right mm-hmm. here." Mm-hmm. And um, and we did that for you know quite some time. And then when we got out of that, sorry, now that we can return to your problem of you know what she was discussing, but you have this God experience that we just had with you. And and as I recall, it was like she was in a totally different mind, mindset. Totally different mindset. So, in terms of sexual woundedness and sexual trauma, I think the spirituality piece can can move in to help. And we don't mm-hmm. have to name it God. Don't have to name it Jesus either. Right. Um, but we do have to name it as being there's something in you that wants to comfort you. Let's listen to it. Yeah. Um, there's something in you that wants you to be healed. Let's listen to that voice. And then maybe we can slowly ink towards the end, inch towards the, the pleasure piece. Yeah.
0: I think you're right in the sense we have to also within this space, give people permission to not sometimes use the names we give God and Jesus and that, you know, allowing them to move beyond their conceptualization of them yes. and to see them in other things. Because I think that is really important for many people.
1: I mean, for the student I was telling you about, for her, it was the warmth of the sun. That, that, mm-hmm. that was it for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I talked with a, a Korean man. This is going to be in my book, someday, I'm telling you this, uh, who was having trouble. God was far away. God was far away and couldn't get close. And he was doing everything he could that he always did to get God close. And I said, well, tell me what your God looks like. And he staring around and said, well, it's I probably a white dude on a throne with a beard kind of a thing. And I I responded to this Korean American. I said, and how can that God give you any guidance of what it is to be in your Korean looking body? Mm -hmm. And it stopped in cold, stopped in cold. So until we revision God, we're we're not, we're going to have a hard time. I think the God piece is key to that. We have to get this judgmental, angry, anti-sex God out of our brains.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I love how over time how God has transformed for me too because for a long time, I needed God to be the father figure. And then slowly I was like, I need you to be the grandmother. (laughs) I need you to be a mother. I need you to be a big tree. I need you to be a big spiral. (laughs) Like There's many images that I have as I've grown, like created in order for me to um, have a relationship, you know, to, yeah. to be, to recognize what I needed to understand that was happening within myself.
1: Mm. My okay. favorite that I use is as um, love. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think of love as a windstorm mm. uh, that it moves it, like it's the air current. It moves through our lives and we inhale it oh, um, yeah. and exhale That's it. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's always there, always present and gives life. So that that helps me get out of any structure. There's gotta be a God form with mm-hmm. arms and legs and all that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Metaphors are good. Metaphors are in scripture as well. Yeah. Uh, nice of the rock, the shield. Yeah. Know? All those things. Stream. There's any number of them. So we can go a different place with that. Which yeah, will but... help us get out from under this uh, all this structure around sex, the mm-hmm. negativity. Right.
0: So we're coming close to the end already, which is kind of Can't
1: amazing believe me. It.
0: I know. We just talk, talk, talk. I love it. I could sit for hours <laughs> really probably <passing> with you. <laughs> but I asked all of my guests, what story have you been reframing in your life lately?
1: Mm. Well, I've already alluded to it. Um, I have become clear in my, my spiritual direction, with my spiritual director that uh, I I am a workaholic and mm. uh, it's all about production mm-hmm. because that's how I got love and attention when mm-hmm. I was And that's who my dad was and modeled. Okay. So I have now discovered in my spiritual direction that being productive is what the patriarchy wants me to do. It mm. keeps my eyes off of injustice,
0: mm-hmm.
1: off well, of my interest because I'm busy. I'm busy doing my nine to five, you know, stuff. Uh, and it keeps me separated from pleasure from my own body, because if I'm producing, by definition, I'm not producing pleasure. I am producing a product of some kind. Yeah. Uh, and I'm taking things off my my uh, task list and feeling good about that rather than inhaling life's essence and saying, wow, isn't it good to be alive? And what can I do with my senses that would give me joy and pleasure? So in my advanced age, I am moving away from productivity and I'm saying, all right, I think I wanna live a pleasure-centered life. Yeah. I have to get some of those weeds out of my head about if you don't produce, you're not worth anything. No, I wanna create lots of pleasurable experiences for my friends uh friend for my lovers you know come on let's have lots of pleasure and i'm going to do it in the name of jesus i don't care how you do it <laughs> because because jesus was criticized for oh. going to too many parties with the wrong kind of people and having wine come on that was the criticism in Matthew. so i think i'm on good solid ground as a christian to to mimic I, jesus i really love that
0: <laughs> Jesus' name that makes me laugh. That's, that's great. And two things came to mind when you said that I, uh, went to the beach yesterday and I will say that I'm at the heaviest I've been in a long time, um, due to vacation and eating with family and Endemic. all the things, all the things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but yesterday, you know, I have, I've been reframing the way I talk to myself about my body and different things like this. And I was in my bathing suit and I just looked at my kids and they said, let's go. And so we just like ran into this cold ocean and I was there like jumping in the waves, like shaking my booty, doing a dance and just like skipping around and having a blast. And I was like, I was like, life is too short right now to be, you know, concerned with what is everything looking like? You know, where before I'd be like, I don't know if I want to go in and I just decided to take the moment to embrace that time with my kids and to just feel the ocean water and the waves crashing against my body. And I was like, this is so joyous. <laughs> like, yes.
1: We need to do this more. <laughs> Absolutely. And when you, when we listen to those voices in our heads about, oh, you're too heavy and you shouldn't be doing, wearing that, and that's patriarchy. Yeah. That's telling you, you are less valuable if you are not this particular size. You're less valuable if you don't look this way. What? Right. Get rid of that voice. Yeah. That is not the voice of, of the Jesus who calls us to abundant life. Right. This is so true. good for you. You listen to pleasure. I you set up yours to the page. <laughs> I did. And it was a wonderful day. <laughs> it was wonderful.
0: I've had a number of friends go to Europe this year just for vacation, just a number of them. And so many of them talked about, first of all, how much more relaxed they felt, how they were not as tightly wound. They recognized moments, I would say, of being alarmed by noises that were loud, right? From, you know, our experiences, I think with mass shootings in our country and different things like that. But when they were really there and embracing things, they were like, had this new perspective and they were just like, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. In America,
0: like the amount that we're trying to work, like, what is it doing? You know, it's causing so much stress, anxiety, depression. We're like not enjoying the loved ones around us. And they were just like, it just, they came back with a completely different mind frame.
1: That's great. And I think that's part of what's under the great resignations that are happening. Mm -hmm. You are not wanting to work for peanuts, number one, meaningless work, number two, and number three, where's the pleasure? Right. So you're right. That's wonderful. They're having those insights because this is a choice Mm -hmm. that we have made in this culture to be this way. And we are serving the captains of industry. We are serving people. Um, who want to maintain this kind of focus on production, for example, uh, rather than serving ourselves.
0: Yeah, I know that was it's been interesting, I think, to even think about, you know, or changing my idea too. I think of what successful means and things like that in terms of looking at my career and knowing that I've chosen chosen to really be with kids as much as I can and then bringing in these elements that I've wanted to work for for myself but being in middle-aged and also having this lens of feeling like I'm being screamed at, like, you're still not producing enough. You're not enough. And I'm like, yes. And I feel that, but then I'm also like, but I've also been able to be this, you know, the, the pivotal person to embrace the needs of my family, to create moments of joy with friends, you know, and connection And I'm realizing like how much I felt blessed to be able to do that and how I wish that all moms or parents, um, I would say, or fathers could be able to experience more of those times instead of choosing, you know, whichever one they feel, you know, like, yes, we have to feed ourselves, but also, like, I think we also have to start reframing the way. We set up a work day, or what work looks like, what productivity works out looks like. Like those are the things that need to
1: change. And there's a piece here that we're missing, which is pleasure leads to creativity. Yes. Yes. And it's creativity <laughs> that will help us solve the problems in front of us. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. There so is. we're not we're not just being pleasure centered just for the sake of hedonism. We're being pleasure centered because it clears the mind and it clears the spirit, and we see things differently and we see things new, as your friends in Europe uh, could could attest to. And, and then it also helps then- our body
0: to not hurt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right.
1: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Right.
0: So how can people learn more about you? And um, do you want to talk a little bit about your center and just how you're showing up and stuff in the world?
1: Sure. sure. Well, we have an Instagram account. The Incarnation Institute is the name of it. And I'm really proud of that work. Um, I'm not the one doing it, but I'm the one who's feeding the some of the information to So that's a good place for people to, to catch what I'm talking about. Because my institute is called Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith. And we have focused up until now, uh, the last number of years, on training sexologists and professionals, as well as clergy professionals, mm-hmm. um, which you were a part of, mm-hmm. uh, to help them deconstruct some of the sex negativity in the church and also offer them tools on how to, to help people who've been wounded by that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be making a pivot, and I'm certainly making a personal pivot as I move away from that training, uh, towards pleasure and towards people who are in the pews um, or people who've left the pews. So away from the professional stuff and I'll be moving more towards, um, towards that. And it'll be, it'll include a lot of writing. So okay. it's kind of a stay tuned thing. I Beverly Dale is my Facebook um, uh, name, but uh, the Incarnation Institute is also a piece of, of that work. And we have a Facebook page as well as the Instagram account. That's
0: great. So. Well, I appreciate you so much because I've learned so much from you and I'm so grateful that you you know, have been doing this and are there with me and someone who I can learn from. So thank you. Yes,
1: yes. Well, thank you so much for your compliments. I appreciate it.